It's good to be back here uh, at Ambassador. I know in the last few months, uh, for all of us, it's been a kind of an interesting time of transition. I know for me, it's been a really interesting time of transition. Um, but I'm so thankful uh, to the elders and to our pastoral staff. Thank M Pastor Mike uh, for allowing me to come and be a part of our church family. The thing that I miss most uh, when I was in Anaheim this morning and here is the gathering together. And I was yearning for the time that we can all gather. And now uh, to see all of you is just a great joy for me to see you uh, in, in flesh versus on video. So let me ask uh, us uh, to go in a word of prayer. Our text today is going to be found in Luke chapter 17, uh, verses 11 to 19. Luke 17, 11 through 19. So let's pray. Father God, thank you again for this uh, beautiful morning uh, that we can worship together, that we have the privilege of worship uh, outside, and what a great opportunity it is to gather with your saints. Father, I pray that as we meet together, that you would remind us of the greater hope that is within us, that no matter what is going on in the outside world, Lord, that our confidence does not reside in our government, it does not reside in, in our structures, our economic structure, our military. Our hope and our trust is in you and that you transcend all that. And as we think about Thanksgiving week, I pray that you would remind us of the importance of what it means to give thanks. And for us as Christians, that, that this is more than just a, a celebration that we gather to eat a meal. But it really is a lifestyle in which we are to live. So thank you again for Ambassador Church. Thank you for Ambassador Brea. Thank you for Pastor Mike. Thank you for the elders and the staff here. I pray that you will continually work in him and through them uh, for your great cause and purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our passage is uh, Luke chapter 17, verses uh, 11 uh, through 19. So let me read the story for you. Uh, many of you are familiar with the story. It is a story in which Jesus is now going from the northern part of Israel, and he is uh, going to the southern part, uh, in Judea. In verse 11, it says, On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going to the village, ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, go show yourself to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, rise, go, your faith has made you well. This morning, I want to remind you of the importance of our sustaining faith. What makes our faith different in the light of all the things that we're dealing with? How does our faith change our perspective and our outlook? If you look at it from a just kind of purely uh, news perspective, our outlook hasn't really improved much. From the outward perspective, it looks like things are getting worse. Uh, recently, um, yesterday, CNN had an article talking about the surge that's happening with the virus, that over 195,000 new infections were reported in a single day. 
If you think about that, the highest amount was back in July, where the surge was only 77,000. The numbers are, are, are quadrupling and ex exceeding even some of the highest uh, data that, that we had even anticipated. Think about the, the virus not only from a physical perspective, but think of it from a mental and spiritual perspective. It's taken a harsh toll, especially for those of us who are young adults under the age of 35. Majority of Americans between the ages of 18 to 34 say they feel at least felt isolated in the past month compared to about 4 in 10 um, older Americans. A new report by the Massachusetts General Hospital reports that studies have found that young people have had thoughts of suicide in astronomical numbers. Between 2013 and 2014, it was only 3.4%. Now that number has jumped to almost 40%. Think about this. Four out of ten young adults have contemplated in, in such a state of mental anxiety, even depression, of suicide. Not only that, you think about all the travel restrictions that are taking place. Thanksgiving is a time in which we look forward to gathering together to eat a meal, celebrate it, and reminisce about this past year. And yet many of us have been restricted to even travel to meet our loved ones. Our Thanksgiving has been now sort of toned down to a Zoom meeting. This past year, some of you have encountered some challenges in your business, in your personal life. Think about your livelihood. Uh, some of you have been laid off from work. Those of you who are in college, you, you have to now sort of transition, or in high school, transition to a different mode of learning. All these have kind of caused our outlook to look gloomy and even to grumble. So the question for us is this. How do we deal with the growing sort of disconnect and isolation that we feel in greater society? How does being a Christian change the way we live our lives? You know, one of the things that I think is important is as believers is that our gratitude and thanksgiving is the means by which God can bring healing and joy into our lives. See, it's easy, isn't it, to complain and to grumble when things are not going our way. When things are starting to sort of get depressing, we start to sort of get angry with God, and our perspective changes. And here's the interesting thing about our outlook and perspective, is that outlook and perspective changes the way we feel and ultimately changes the way we act. For many of you, if I asked you the question, what would make you more thankful? Some of you would probably answer, I would be more thankful if I had a better job. I would be thankful more if, if I could travel again. I would be thankful if I can get a new PS5. Whatever that is, we always equate thankfulness with acquisition or getting something more than what we currently have. But here's where a Christian's mindset of gratitude is different than the world. The world is thankful because of, but we are thankful because of what God has already done. It's not a future orientation. It's a past orientation. And here's where I want to encourage you, that we as Christians have much to be grateful for. Our gratitude is not based upon what is happening in our context. Our gratitude is based upon the reality of who God is and what he has done for us. You know, this week we call it Thanksgiving. I want to change the, the, the lingo a little bit and, and, and think as Christians we need to be thanks living. Living a life of gratitude. And if you live a life of gratitude, it changes every aspect 
of your life. You know, one of the most common words in Scripture is the word thanksgiving. Thanks. Paul uh, talks about, I thank my God for you when he writes to all the churches. In the Old Testament, throughout the book of Psalms, we see the word thanks as a constant theme. But human nature is the opposite, isn't it? Instead of being grateful, we start to be grumble. And one of the things about complaining is that complaining leads to other problems. Uh, Dr. Dale Robbins, in his book, writes this. I used to think people complained because they had a lot of problems. But I have come to realize that they have problems because they complain. Complaining doesn't change anything or make the situation better. It amplifies frustration spreads discontent and discord, and can evoke invitation for the devil to cause havoc in our lives. Complaining makes us miserable. For many of us, we think that complaining makes us happy because we sort of get it out of our system, but it has an opposite effect, that somehow complaining helps us to kind of see the problem bigger than what it really is. See, that's a human problem, isn't it? It goes all the way back to creation where we start complaining about what we don't have. When Adam was in the garden, when he had every provision, he said, you know what, I, I need something else. And, and so the whisper of the devil was this, that you can never be content with what you have. But really what gratitude is, is contentment with what God has already provided. And unless we have that frame of mind, we will never be happy. We will never be content. And today I want to look at the story in the light of that. See, this is a story that kind of we can relate with. These were 10 men who had been infected with a disease. These were 10 men who had sort of been isolated from community. These were 10 men that had lived their lives in, in sort of a permanent social distance. And yet, in this story, we see an interesting sort of demonstration of God's mercy, God's provision, and God's grace. And I think it shows us kind of an interesting perspective about how we can be thankful in the midst of when everything is collapsing around us. So let's take a look at the story again. In verse 11, we see that Jesus is making his trek from, uh, from Galilee, which is the northern side. If you were to sort of use the, uh, the geography of California, it would be like going from San Francisco all the way to uh, San Diego. That's kind of the trek that Jesus is making. Now, what was interesting about the geography was that in the middle, uh, we, let's call that Fresno and Bakersfield, <laughs> that Jesus would bypass that, or, or the, 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 uh, the trek, they would bypass Samaria. And the reason they would bypass Samaria was the Samaritans were considered to be half-breeds. They were sort of infected in a different way by the Assyrians. They were intermarried. Their religion became sort of what I call uh, sort of a polytheistic. It was kind of a dual religion. And so the Jews considered the Samaritans as being sort of uh, outside. They were, they were isolated spiritually, emotionally, physically. And they were considered unclean. But Jesus does something interesting. Rather than go around Samaria, he goes through Samaria. And we see this happening over and over again. It kind of shows us the nature and the heart of God. That God is concerned for all people. He's not concerned only for the Jews. Even though the mission at this time was, was specifically to the Jews. In this context, Jesus goes through Samaria. And in this context, we see these ten lepers who call out to Jesus. 
And in verse 12, it says this. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. Now, you talk about social distancing. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The first point in this uh, story is this, that a person who lives a life of thanks relies on God's mercy in the midst of difficult times. Notice what they were crying out for. They were crying out for pity and mercy in in, uh, verse 13. And I think that's a good point for us to reflect on. Why can we be thankful? The reason that we can be thankful is that the reliance of our, our lives is not upon the situation, but upon the mercy and the nature and character of God. These people realize, these lepers realize, that there is no medicine in those times that can heal leprosy. There is no way in which they will ultimately be restored to what they wanted to do was to, to be fully healthy. They realized that the only thing that they could do was to cry out in mercy to someone else. And in this particular context, they're crying out to Jesus. Now, I, I think that's something for us to think about when it comes to gratitude. That our gratitude is not based upon what we have or what we have done. But our gratitude is simply based upon the mercy and the goodness of God. And here's the thing that I'm most grateful for. God chose to be, great, uh, to be merciful when he didn't need to. That's the whole idea of salvation, isn't it? That salvation is not based upon our effort or our good works. It's based upon simply the mercy of God, the nature and character of God. In this story... We see something interesting. When Jesus goes and and these lepers cry out from a distance, Jesus could have done one of two things. He could have walked away and ignored the problem of these people. Or he could have dealt with it. And so what does Jesus do in verse 14? When he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priest. And they were cleansed. The response of Jesus is fascinating, if you think about it. Jesus does not ignore their problems, but rather he deals with them. He stops, listens, demonstrates compassion and mercy upon them. And I think that's one of the great things about gratitude is that we could be grateful because of God's mercy in our lives. Now, sometimes when we think about our present situation, the problem becomes bigger than what God has already done. But mercy reminds us that God has given us so much more than what we deserve. We are far better off than we were even before. And sometimes we forget that. You know, as as Christians who've been following Jesus for a long time, we sort of look back at the past, and we sort of glorify the past, don't we? One of the things about the past is this. The past always looks better than what, what it really was. One of the things about God's mercy is this, that God's mercy allows us to experience the present with gratitude. Several years ago, there was a cartoon um, pictured Charlie Brown and Snoopy. And Snoopy, it was Thanksgiving Day, and Snoopy was at his dinner. And what he got on his plate was usual dog food. Uh, Snoopy took one look at the dog food and said, this isn't fair. The rest of the world today is eating turkey with all the trimmings, and all I get is dog food. And he kind of laments. And he goes, maybe I, all I get is dog food because I'm a dog. And he stared at his food, and then he thought to himself, I guess it could be worse. At least I'm not a turkey. 
when I thought about that, it reminds me, you know what? It could be worse. No matter how difficult life is, God has given us life. You're sitting here. We're worshiping outside. What a beautiful day for us to worship. That this is all a demonstration of the mercy of God. It's God's mercy that sustains us. And I think sometimes we forget that. That when situations become difficult, it does one of two things, doesn't it? Either it develops our character or it amplifies our current state, our, our current character. In other words, it already just demonstrates to us what's already in our hearts. But for us as believers, I think the first principle of gratitude is this, that we should be merciful with what God has already done. Uh, we should be thankful for what God has done because of his mercy. But here's the second uh, principle here. A living life recognizes God's work in our lives even when we don't see it. A thanksgiving life recognizes God's work in our lives even when we don't see it. Now, I, I love the way Jesus heals these, these men. He doesn't do anything very uh, flashy. He doesn't do anything supernatural. There's no lightning that comes out of heaven. There's no, uh, you know, thunder. But when he saw them, verse 14, all he said to them was, go show yourself to the priest. Now, I think about the story. And think about what, what these men might have been thinking. They're thinking, okay, Jesus didn't do anything. But they're walking along this path to go back to the priest. And I don't know how long that trek was. But they're probably wondering, is God doing anything? But we recognize that in the midst of them walking and trusting what Jesus has said, that God's already working physically in their lives. And I think that's a good principle for us to remember. That we recognize that God's work is often unseen. That God's work is done in the process of things happening. In other words, when things get difficult, oftentimes God uses that difficulty to develop the very character and nature that we need to develop. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4 reminds us, Consider it pure joy, brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, the curriculum that God uses for spiritual maturity, spiritual development, is oftentimes the things that are most difficult. That God calls us sometimes to endure, to suffer. Now you think about what we have suffered. And, and if you think of it from a kind of a time lapse perspective, you know, uh, things went shut down in March. And, and now probably next year, March, uh, a vaccine has been sort of, you know, they're going to find, they're finding a vaccine that's working. You got two different medical companies that, that have kind of, you know, come out with some positive results. So it, from a, from a, kind of a time perspective, it's, it's, it's going to probably be about a year. And yet, for us who are living in the midst of that, we sometimes forget the presence of God. And one of the things that I, I, I've always encouraged people is this. In the midst of this difficult time, rather than react to what's going on, let's be proactive to what God is already doing. Because it, it's in this period, in this year, that our spiritual development is taking place. That God is working and churning our hearts to either draw closer to him or amplify what's already there to draw ourselves away from him. So the choice is this. We could be grateful 
for what God is already doing. And even though we may not be able to see it, a Christian's always future-oriented because we look and we live our lives from the light of eternity. The reason that we can be grateful is because we have hope. We have hope for the ultimate future. And because of that, that's what we cling to. The reason that the world is so desperate and depressed is because their hope was in the wrong things, things that were temporal. And as Christians, we can be hopeful because God is continually working in our lives. Oftentimes, it is what God is doing now that's going to help us understand the future because we have to prepare ourselves. Isn't it interesting that in a natural disaster or any calamity, uh, we often think that calamity is what destroys people or kills people. But if you look at it, if from a kind of a long-term perspective, it's not that natural disaster, whether it's a hurricane or earthquake. It's what happens afterwards. And that's where I think we as Christians are now geared for this season to prepare for what God is doing. And that's where gratitude comes in, to be grateful that God is working in us to continually do this thing that God has called us to be faithful for. Think about all the things you can be grateful for. Someone once wrote, I'm thankful for the taxes that I pay because it means I'm employed. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snug because it means I have enough to eat. I'm thankful for my shadow who watches me work because it means I'm out in the sunshine. I'm thankful for a lawn that needs mowing, windows that need cleaning, and gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home. I'm thankful for the spot I find at the end of a parking lot. It means because I'm capable of walking. Rather than seeing what we don't have, Let's focus on what we do have and to be grateful for that and what we will ultimately have. Lastly, a thanksgiving life results in God's provision for salvation through faith. You know, one of the beautiful parts of the story is not the physical healing. But notice the, the, the part that comes afterwards, verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. In other words, God... Jesus healed their physical being. But notice the person that comes back. One of them, he saw, when he saw them, he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. What makes the story remarkable is that the Samaritans were considered, uh, like I said, they were ostracized for society. They were the ones who society looked down upon. But they were the ones who were to first, or he was the one, he was the only one who responded with gratitude. And notice the response, notice the gift of what gratitude gives in verse 17. Jesus asked, were not all ten healed? Where are the other nine? I think that's a good question, right? Look at these people. They, they were crying out to God, God, heal me, heal, heal me. And, and Jesus did exactly that. He healed them. And yet... The only person that came back was somebody who was sort of marginalized by society. But that person responded in faith, in God's mercy. And Jesus gave him the ultimate healing. He said this, verse 18. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? The, the, the statement here is interesting because I think these other nine may have been Israelites. Or at least some of them. These people who should have known better. But the only one that responded was this Gentile, 
and when he or the Samaritan, and when he saw said to them, when he said then he said to them, rise up and go. And notice this last statement: your faith has made you well. According to uh, scholars, the statement "faith has made you well" is not about physical well-being. It's about something that is much more important. That's his spiritual well-being. He has, at this point, seen and received salvation. Jesus has brought this man not just the physical healing, which was temporary, but he brought him eternal healing, which was eternal. I think for us, as Christians, we forget that we live in the light of eternity. And as we are living in this pandemic, (laughs) in this season, which is a very short season, let us not lose hope. Let us not lose faith. And let us not lose the understanding of God's provision for eternal salvation. Because I think that's what ultimately will sustain us. That our hope is bigger than what we have currently. I want to, as we conclude our time together, I want to remind us of this one simple fact. That no matter how bad the world is or has become, that we as Christians should never imitate the world. That the world is not our example. That instead our example needs to be of Christ. And as we imitate Christ, hopefully the world will imitate Christians. We have been a bad witness, haven't we, in our society. We as evangelical Christians, whatever label you we have been part of the polarization. We need to be different. And so I want to challenge all of us in this Thanksgiving to be grateful for what God has already given to us but to be grateful for what God will ultimately give to us and that we are the ones to lead the charge to help others find hope and salvation.